Hello and welcome. My name is Amelia, otherwise known as DJ EJ, and this is Club Crime, a true crime broadcast recording live at KTCU. How are we all doing this week? This has honestly been a really uneventful day today, so I'm really happy to be here tonight because, as always, this is like the highlight of my Mondays, of my week, and I always need to pick me up on my Mondays, um, but we'll talk about that more later. But if you haven't listened to last week's episode, which, where have you been, please listen to Club Crime on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and follow me on social media at Club Crime Official on, tw- at, on Instagram and at Club Crime Fish on Twitter slash X because they won't let me have my full name and guys round of applause for me i did it i posted on the club crime official twitter for the first time um did did i realize i only had three followers yeah did that make me a little disappointed knowing that not a lot of you follow me um yes again this was i felt a little bit sad i was like where are all the people that I tell to like listen all the time? I didn't know where y'all were and I was I was a little sad. But that's okay. It's okay. I'll still post on there because I just think Twitter slash X. I'm just gonna keep calling it Twitter. It's just a really silly, goofy little place and you can find really anything you want on Twitter. And unfortunately Twitter is where I get a lot of my news from, which for better or for worse, I am always updated on current events. But let's introduce my guest for this week. Um, It's me again. I'm the guest again. Um, (laughs) This is now happening for two times in a row on two different club crime podcasts. And the reason, once again, is because this is a very short story that I'm telling you guys today, and it just doesn't feel fair to tell it to a guest who is much more deserving of a longer story. So that's why, and I promise, I promise, I promise, We will have guests for the remainder of Club Crime. I promise you, there will be guests. Let me just say that. There will be guests. Um, Oh, guys, we have some listeners going on. My roommate is listening. If you guys want an update, um, Grace, my roommate, um, who has been on the podcast four different times now, twice as like my quote unquote assistant and twice as an actual guest, um, (laughs) she broke her ankle. Um, On Saturday, her and I were walking home from a party with a group of friends and we're walking and we get to this area that doesn't have any sidewalk and so we have to walk through this grassy area. And so my friend and I are walking ahead and we call back to the people behind us, hey guys, there's a ditch, watch out for it because my friend and I almost tripped in it. Turns out there wasn't just one ditch, there were two. And so all of a sudden my friend and I hear, ow! And we turn around and Grace is just on the ground in in the ditch which we keep calling it a ditch but it's really just like a indented like curve in the ground it wasn't really a ditch but uh, unfortunately grace did break her ankle and i had to take her to urgent care yesterday um okay so (laughs) um I like that my friends right now are listening to the podcast. I think I should say that my friends are being very good supporters of Club Crime right now. However, they're also telling me um, that I sound goofy and that I just don't sound very good, I guess. 
don't you guys love my friends? Aren't my friends just so supportive? Oh, but that's the joy of having no guest currently. Um, but let's get into the story because today for you guys, I have the actual true crime story for you guys, the short one. And then I've pulled once again, some more modern true crime, some ongoing, which I haven't done in a while. And I'm super excited to do this because I found two very interesting stories, which was a little hard to do, unfortunately, because a lot of the news is currently wrapped up in the Palestine-Israel conflict and, of course, the Trump indictments. And I don't like getting too political on this podcast. In fact, I don't like getting political at all on this podcast. So I'm just going to keep all that aside, all of my opinions to the side, and I'm just going to stay in the zone of people getting murdered because you can't have an opinion about murder. They're just dead. So I guess I should tell myself my guest duties. I'm going to tell myself a true crime story. It is my job to react, ask questions, add in my own personal anecdotes, and just add to the story in any way that I want, which I don't know how I can ask questions because I'm the one that wrote this story. So today's super exciting, super secret story, except I already know my story that I'm telling myself, is the story of the Fort Worth Missing Trio, which... I mean, we're at KTCU right now, which is in Fort Worth, so a very topical, very topical, very topical story. Sources for tonight's story include the Dallas Morning News, CrimeWire, NBC News, and NBC Fort Worth, and we all know her. We all love her. Miss Wikipedia. (sighs) Wikipedia really saved me the other day because... (laughs) This is such an old person thing to do, but I do crosswords almost every day. And I had to like go on Wikipedia because there was this like clue and I don't remember what it was about. It was about some like word regarding a country. That's the most I remember from it. And I had to go on Wikipedia to like figure out what this like word meant because I couldn't figure it out. And Wikipedia came through. Wikipedia gave me the definition of the word. So thank you, Wikipedia, for saving me again, but still not being a good enough source for my college professors to use. So let's get into the background on the case, shall we? On December 23rd, 1974, 15-year-old Terry Mosley went to visit his girlfriend at her grandma's house across the street. His girlfriend was 14-year-old Lisa Renee Wilson, who just went by Renee, with whom Terry was in a serious relationship with, having just given Wilson a promise ring, which serious relationship at 14 and 15 is wild. I've never been in like a serious relationship and I'm 19. So to say you're in a serious relationship at 14 and 15 is just crazy to me, especially giving promise rings. Like... I'm sorry, what if you, like, want to experiment when you're an adult? What if you want, like, a life that isn't, like, marriage as soon as you're an adult? And it's the 70s, too, which I would expect to be a little bit more, you know, proactive and, you know, let's wait till marriage for, like, a while. Let's wait to get married for a while. Let's go do our our cool, fun things. But no, 15-year-old Terry and 14-year-old Renee are... They're in a serious relationship, and maybe I'm just being spiteful because I've never had one of those. (sighs) Moving on. (laughs) 
That morning, Wilson asked Terry to join her and her friend, Mary Rachel Trilka, who goes by Rachel, Christmas shopping. Trilka was 17 years old and had been recently married to Tommy Trilka six months prior, which married at 17, once again, crazy. Kids, if you're a child listening to this, and by child, I mean like anyone under the age of 18, please wait to get married. There's so much more to life than like marriage. And if marriage is your dream, wonderful. Still go to college and like get a degree and then get married. Terry was unable to go on this trip as he had promised a friend that he would visit him at a hospital. Good friend. Seeing an opportunity to get out of the house, Terry Mosley's nine-year-old little sister, Julie Ann Mosley, begged Wilson and Trilka to take her with them. The pair was originally dismissive, but after Mrs. Mosley called Wilson, telling her that she was okay with Julie tagging along, and Julie pleaded that she didn't want to be home all day, all three girls left to go shopping. Around noon, the girls stopped at the Army-Navy store before going to the Seminary South Shopping Center in South Fort Worth. All of the girls had told their families that they would be home by 4 p.m. because Wilson wanted to be home with enough time to get ready for a Christmas party that night. Which, I don't know. I think the story's a little topical because Christmas time, and I think Christmas time starts after Halloween. My apartment's already decorated for it. My mom would disagree and would probably believe that this is actually not a very topical, topical story, that I should be doing a Thanksgiving story, but I promise that's coming. It's coming soon. Maybe if I want to, because I kind of just want to do Christmas and I love Thanksgiving, but I kind of just want to do Christmas. (laughs) So after 4 p.m. had passed and the girl's family had begun to arrive home from work, concerns began to arise as to why the girls were not home. Wilson's father, as well as several other people with from around the neighborhood, set out to look for the girls with Terry Mosley staying home to wait by the phone in case anyone called. At around 6 p.m., the group found Trilka's Oldsmobile 98 in the upper level of the Sears parking garage in the shopping center. A present was found in the backseat of the car, making it appear as though the girls did not make it back to their car after shopping. Before the mall closed, the search group for the girls went to every store in the shopping center to check for the girls. After finding no signs of the girls anywhere, the Fort Worth Police Department were notified that Mary Rachel Trilka, Lisa Renee Wilson, and Julie Ann Mosley were all missing. So, they really have no evidence to go on, period. They know that these girls went to the mall. They know that they went Christmas shopping. They know that there's presents in the car, which means it's likely that they made it back to the car, but there's really not not much else to go by. And this is the 70s, so actual, like, CCTV cameras around a mall is going to be either non-existent or very limited, and I'm leaning on non-existent for this case. So let's get into the investigation. Investigators' initial assumption was that the girls ran away. The day after the disappearance, Tommy Trilka, Rachel's husband, received a suspicious handwritten note. The note said, quote, I know I'm going to catch it, but we had to get away. We're going to Houston. See you in about a week. The car is in the Sears upper lot. Love, Rachel. End quote. Which I think is a little suspicious. I mean... It's one thing to, like, want to get away, but it's another thing to be like, hey, like, I'm leaving. See you in a week. 
not going to notify anyone until after I'm gone. In my mind, that's a little suspicious. However, it's the 70s. And in the 70s, you know, everyone was free. Everyone was doing their thing. But you also had like a 30% chance of dying from a serial killer at any given moment. And people didn't realize that and still you know drove around with no seatbelts on and walked around at night and just really had no care in the world so who knows maybe I'm just too much in my mind of like the modern day you know I share my location with people and I always text you know people when I'm going somewhere when I'm going to be home or I don't know I'm just a very safe and cautious person and I think it's become more so especially because of these stories So the note was suspicious for several reasons. This note that Tommy Trilka got from supposedly Rachel. Number one, the envelope was written on in pencil while the note was written in ink. Number two, the note was addressed to Thomas A. Trilka rather than Tommy as Rachel would have typically called her husband. And three, The letter L in Rachel's name seemed to be written over with an extra E added to her name. As though, you know, someone wrote Rachel's name and then they realized they messed it up, had to like go back and scribble it. So kind of a telltale sign that it's likely someone who is writing this isn't actually Rachel. So, none of the girls' family members believed that the note was actually written by Rachel Trilba, Trilka, sorry, um, and they did not believe that the girls would be runaways. Judy Wilson, Renee's mother, stated, quote, I could have told you that night that they didn't run away. Renee wanted to go to that party, and no nine-year-old is going to run off two days before Christmas. Everybody knows that, end quote. Which, so accurate, I would not have run off from Christmas at nine years old. So, what did I, I'm trying to think of like what I would have received at nine years old. What would I have been given at nine years old? I want to say that's the year I got a bike, but I definitely think the year I got like my quote unquote big girl bike was earlier than that. What did I want at nine years old? I think I definitely got clothes from Justice because it used to be that my grandma would get catalogs from Justice, which, by the way, if you were Justice in elementary school, you were definitely like the cool kid or like one of the popular kids or had like some sort of like good social standing. And so my grandma would get catalogs from Justice and then she would send them to me and I would go through and I'd circle everything that I want. And then my grandma, I'd send, well, I'd send the catalog back to my grandma. My grandma would take it. She'd look at everything I circled and then it wouldn't always be everything because I would circle so many things, but (laughs) it would be like the things that were like most easily accessible for her to get at her local justice and so then I'd like on Christmas open up this big package of all these like new clothes and I would be stunting a new outfit as soon as I got back to school and it was of course you know the plaid Bermuda shorts and the like sparkly monkey you know it was always like a monkey or like a lizard or a cat or just some sort of like sparkly animal like zoo animal or cat like on the front of the shirt with like these big like bug eyes 
and it was always in like a neon like pink or a teal (sighs) i just really miss the justice days and i just found out that they sell justice in walmart and when i saw that i saw the justice like walmart clothes it's not real justice anymore it doesn't have the same flair that old justice used to have so back to the story because police were um, giving the families few regard few details regarding the investigation, the Trilkas, the Wilsons, and the Mosleys took things into their own hands. The families began distributing missing person flyers throughout Texas and contacting newspapers throughout the United States. As tips began to come forward, one man claiming to be an acquaintance of Trilkas said that he saw the girls in a record store in the mall they were shopping at. He went on to say that he and Trilka spoke briefly before she and her friends left, accompanied by an unknown person. Private investigator named a private investigator named John Swaim was hired in 1975. Swaim discovered that a string of obscene phone calls had been sent to Rachel. Trilka, after applying for a job, or had been sent to Rachel after applying for a job. Sorry, sometimes I like read these sentences so poorly, and I really apologize for that. So this man is obviously someone that works at this job that Rachel applies for and sends her obscene phone calls, which I'll spare you the details. Just use your imagination as to what those could have been. The 28-year-old man who made the phone calls had also made similar ones to six other girls after obtaining their phone number from the job applications. He was later, though, ruled out as a suspect. Another interesting fact about the case was that Tommy and Rachel Trilka lived with Rachel's sister, Deborah. Deborah and Tommy were engaged prior to his marriage to Rachel. Weeks before the girls' disappearance, the trio had supposedly been arguing often, which Deborah claimed was false, and Deborah had allegedly been having an affair with Tommy. Which I remember writing this and sitting there, and I had to literally sit there for like five minutes and be like, You would find me so hard pressed to number one, still like live with my ex fiance. And then number two, have my ex-fiance's new wife be my sister. I would literally leave. I would find new housing immediately or I'd go move back in with my parents. That's an even better option. I would not be staying with my ex-fiance. You would not catch me dead doing that. And my sister would also, I don't think my sister would be dead to me. Let me, I'm not going to say that. I think I would be very upset with my sister though, because it's like girl code. Why? Like you can't steal another person's man. You just don't, you don't do that. (sighs) I don't know. I don't, I keep being like, it's the seventies. Like things were different, but it was like, really guys, come on. Just like get with the program already. So after all leads were coming up inconclusive, P.I. Swaim received a tip that the girls had been killed and taken to Port Lavaca. Swaim then went to Port Lavaca with 100 volunteers to search under the local bridges, but no trace was found of the girls. In 1976, an oil drilling crew found three skeletons in a field in Brazoria, Brazoria County. 
Swaim had the bones compared with the missing girls' dental records and x-rays, but the bones belonged to one teenage boy and two unidentified females. Later that same year, a psychic contacted one of the families, telling them that all the girls' bodies would be found near an oil well. Search efforts were focused on the small community of Rising Star outside of Abilene, but for an unknown reason, but for an unknown reason, or they were focused on the community for an unknown reason, but nothing was found. (sighs) It's a Monday, guys. I promise I will try to start reading these just ever so slightly better than I usually do, which is probably not that even, even that good to begin with, so... I really I need to like build like I can't keep shooting myself down I'm doing wonderful I'm doing so good right now I am I am the best podcaster slash radio host there is and I'm doing a great job and I'm totally not messing up some of these sentences so in the following years the case was closed but reopened in 2001 homicide detective tom botcher was assigned to the case botcher believed that the unknown person that was with the girls in the mall was someone they trusted and left with the person then likely enlisted the help of multiple people to kidnap and likely kill the girls for an unknown reason in september of 2018 three cars were found in benbrook lake after someone else reported their car missing in the area around the same time the girls did analyzation proved no connection between the cars and the girls so it's like we keep getting leads the leads go nowhere we get another lead that lead goes nowhere so today the case still remains open and unsolved Efforts are now being made to post billboards across Texas with the girls' age-progressed pictures. If you have any information on the disappearance of the missing trio, please call the Fort Worth Police Department at 817-469-8477. And that's only if you have information on these girls' disappearance. Don't call the police department for prank calls or anything like that. Just call them for emergencies, and if you have info, please. And that is the story of the Fort Worth Trio. Crazy story. I've, as I like write these stories, I realize more and more how, just how much true crime in general just happens in Texas and around the DFW area. I mean, of most famously, we have the JFK assassination, which took place in Dallas, which crazy story. So TCU does this thing called Frog Camp, which is like, a camp you go to the summer before your freshman year of college and it's like to meet other like coming in TCU students and I'm trying to think of it's supposed to be like you meet them you build like independence for college you get to learn like some skill building and so I did the one that like you stay in Fort Worth and you get to go to a bunch of different like sport places around the area because it was like a sport-based like Fort Worth camp so I went to that and we got to stay in the hotel that JFK and Jackie stayed at the night before he got assassinated in Dallas I didn't get to stay in the room unfortunately that would have been cool but no I stayed in the same hotel so that's my little weird connection to that but yeah there's just so much that happens all over Texas and I guess it's just because it's a big state but who knows? Everything's bigger in Texas. So that must mean that the true crime is bigger here, too. 
All right, let's get into the like current ongoing true crime cases that I have for you guys. So, first off, a captain was found guilty of seaman's manslaughter in a deadly 2014 California boat fire. So, the man who was found guilty was Jerry Boylan, and he was a scuba dive boat captain and was criminal that was charged of criminally negligent deaths of 34 people killed in a fire aboard his vessel in 2019, the deadliest maritime disaster in recent U.S. history. So, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> this is on NPR. I did just say... 2014 California boat fire they like made this whole thing that says oopsie that was meant to say 2019 it it was in 2019 guys but 34 people were killed and he's gonna be facing 10 years behind bars or he could be facing that when he's sentenced on February 8th 2024 and it's very sad because a lot of the victims families did show up to this court hearing and as soon as this man was found guilty every one of them was hugging one another and just so relieved and so what happened in the 29 the 2019 tragedy was that Boylan's vessel, which was called the Conception, was anchored off of Santa Cruz Island, which is south of Santa Barbara, if anyone doesn't know. And it caught fire before dawn and then began to sink less than 100 feet from the shore. And it doesn't actually say on here how um, the fire started, but 33 passengers and a crew member perished, that was 34 people, because they were trapped in a bunk room below deck while it was on fire and sinking, which that just has to be the worst way to go. I think death by fire and death by drowning are just the most absolute awful way to die, and to have them combined together is just... Oh, that gives me chills down my spine. I would hate that. But luckily, I'm not on boats in the middle of the ocean very often. I typically just stay close to the shore, especially when I'm like surfing or like I'm going swimming at the beach. Like I'm never I'm never really out in the water. I'm just, you know, I can still feel my feet on the sand below me. If you if you've ever like been at the beach or anything, which I've come to realize, especially now like that I live in Texas most of the year, a lot of people have never like seen the ocean before or been to the beach. And it made me realize like just how kind of privileged I was to grow up where I did, where I had like access to the beach whenever I wanted, really. Like I could literally go to the beach like every single day if I had wanted to. So it it does make me feel very happy to have grown up where I did. So if my mom and dad are listening, um, I know you guys have said that um, your connection dropped at home. But if y'all are listening, thank you for letting me grow up in a very beautiful place in California. And guys, it's my mom's birthday in three days. And she said it would be very timely if you did any episode about my birthday, which mom i did actually try to find a case taking place on november 9th and there were quite a few but there was just never like there weren't like enough interesting ones that i was like oh i have to do this i have to do this and this one's just so topical like i live in fort worth this one took place in fort worth so 
but everyone wish my mom a happy birthday. Go like post it on one of the club crime social media pages and I'll tell my mom that you guys told her happy birthday because it's in three days and she's going to be turning 24 guys. That's how young she is. I know. I know that she, she looks even younger than her age, but she's only 24 guys. She's just so young. Mom, if you're listening to this, please, you know, reward me for saying how young you are. Thank you. (laughs) And then let's move on to our next true crime case, which I also pulled the story from NPR. Tyson recalls 30,000 pounds of chicken nuggets after metal pieces were found inside. And guys, these just weren't any chicken nuggets. These were dinosaur nuggets. (laughs) So here's the deal. I don't think that the Tyson dinosaur nuggets taste nearly as good as like the yummy brand frozen chicken nuggets, like the yummy dinosaur shaped chicken nuggets. Those ones just taste better. And I remember when I was younger, my mom would buy the huge pack of them at Costco. So we'd always have the dinosaur nuggets in the refrigerator. And mind you, I wasn't ever a terribly picky eater. There was like a short time when I was younger that I didn't like eating a lot of different foods so chicken nuggets and like bean and cheese burritos were quite often on the menu for me but you know even now I still love a good dinosaur nugget and there's something about it being dinosaur shaped that just makes it taste better and the angles on like the dinosaurs like the tails and stuff are just make it so much better for dipping because you can get it into like all the nooks and crannies (sighs) now I'm hungry I have some, there's frozen nuggets at home, but they're not dinosaur shaped. They are Tyson. Um, I will let you guys know if I find metal pieces in them. I doubt I will. But Tyson had to basically recall all of these chicken nuggets because metal pieces were found by tons of consumers and they were small, like pliable pieces so they could be bent and a total recall was issued by the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food Safety and Inspection Service. And this was all confirmed on Saturday. And fortunately, there was no reports of injury or illness, but the USDA is advising that if you own a bag of frozen chicken patties, which is what they call the chicken nuggets, um, that are were produced from September 5th, 2023, with the best used by date of September 24th, 2024, please throw them away. And the affected lot codes are 2483BRV0207. 2483BRV0207. 0208-2483-BRV-0209 and 2483-BRV-0210 and they all carry the establishment number of P7- P-7211 on the back of the packages so that's how you know if it's a tainted brand and if you need to go or it's a tainted bag you need to go throw it away so I'm gonna go check when I get home however I kind of maybe don't have to because they say that these packages were distributed in Alabama, California, Illinois, Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, and Wisconsin. These were the places that they were mainly distributed to. So technically, Texas could not be affected, but I'm still going to go home and check because 
I'd like to eat my chicken nuggets. I don't know about y'all, but I want to eat my chicken nuggets. And this is not the first time that Tyson has had has had to recall chicken nuggets because of this issue of like finding things inside the chicken nuggets. In 2014, 75,000 pounds of chicken nuggets had to be recalled after consumers complained that they found small pieces of plastic in their food, which I don't know which is worse. Do you want plastic in your chicken nuggets or do you want metal in your chicken nuggets? I don't know. I mean, I'd say I'd go with plastic because I feel like I already have enough microplastic in my body as is that I feel like just adding a little bit more plastic isn't that big of a deal. Just a little bit more. And you know what? It adds flavor. I mean, I'm sure McDonald's chicken nuggets are part plastic and I've been eating those for years. McDonald's, please don't sue me. That was a joke. I, you know, I don't want, I don't have the money to be sued by McDonald's. Um, but there's so many foods out there that you're like, this just has to be like a little bit of plastic. There has to be just a little bit of plastic in here. Like a lot of candies, especially the very waxy candies. I'm definitely like, there's gotta be just a little bit of plastic in here. Um, (laughs) My mom said, um, hope those are not the ones that Grace eats. Um, she's talking about the chicken nuggets. Um, unfortunately, um, they are the ones that both Grace and I eat. Um, we don't currently have the dinosaur nuggets. We just have the regular shaped nuggets, which I was really sad because Tyson released spooky nuggets this year, which were pumpkin and bat shaped for Halloween. And I couldn't find them anywhere. And I wanted them so bad and I just could not find them for the life of me. And I was so sad. So it's okay. I'll get my spooky nuggets next year. There's a single tear rolling down my face in case anyone was wondering. But those are my stories for you guys today. Honestly, I really love doing these modern true crime stories for you guys it's just so difficult right now with everything else happening in the news so hopefully once all this stuff starts clearing up a little bit more I can start bringing back these true crime modern stories mixed in with you know the true crime stories that I already have written for all of you and do I have any final questions or comments I don't think so. Just go follow follow the podcast. Go follow us on social media. You know, follow me on social on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Give me five stars. I've never asked for that before. Give me five stars. I could use it. It'll help boost me. Um, I also have just recently found out that I have a listener in Belgium. So if you are my um, listener in Belgium, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy. No clue who you are, but... Um, to whoever you are love you love you thank you for supporting me all the way out in europe and to my listeners please join us next week when we have another true crime story with i promise you a special guest joining us and you guys know it this has been club crime